This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Moneymaker, the podcast that gives you the tools to enrich your life in every sense of the word. I'm your host, Nelly Galan. Let's get started. Janice Torres, I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I, I mean, a Latina that just like has turned her whole life around. I can't wait for everybody to hear your story. You have your own podcast, Yo Quiero Dinero, which we all should. If we don't want it, we should be wanting it. <laughs> and I love all of your hacks on your on your website and everything you're teaching women. So welcome to Moneymaker. You know, we call this Moneymaker because yo digo that all of us, you know, that are Latinas and minorities, we become the moneymaker in our family and for our parents. And it's a place of pain, but it's what takes us to a higher place. And I love your story because this journey for you in Yo Quiero Dinero started from a place of pain. Yeah. As, so as can you tell us about you. it? <laughs> <laughs> right. As we say in life, like pain is a very powerful catalyst for change. It is. It's a motivator. Yeah. Well, either you either you do something about it, either you, you know, you start dying a, a little every day or you change your life and you go to a higher place. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You got two choices. And, you know, for me, I found myself after having followed the checklist of life that a lot of us, especially as first gen kids get about what success is supposed to look like, you know, go to college, get the job, get the pension, 401k, all the things. I found myself around the age of 30, just feeling like, I don't even know whose life I'm living right now. I, I don't even recognize what this is, who I am, what's important to me, what I actually want out of this. Mm. And so it it became a process of me deconstructing everything that I thought I wanted and actually like looking at inner, you know, doing that inner work and figuring out what do I actually want my life to look like? And then how can I reverse engineer this to a place where like I'm actually living the life that I want versus the life that other people want for me? I love that you even think that, you know, because I'm much older than you. And I always say to people, I, I've reverse engineered, but to figure that out at 30 is pretty damn cool. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, I don't know if I, if I even thought like that at 30. So that's very mature of you. But you're right. I think, you know, we have to get to the point in life where we almost have an existential crisis and it's okay. And I love that women hear that, that we don't all always know what we want. And we go through these moments in life where we just go, what the hell am I doing? And I've yeah. had that happen to me many times. So tell us what happened because it really changed your life. Like you had a job and you were working for other people. Y te pasó algo feo, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I found myself as a millennial, first off, graduating during the Great Recession. So immediately I'm like, oh, wow, th is this what adulting looks like? We we're just going to be out here in the world, like struggling to survive from day one. Cool. Um, I, I went to school for uh, originally pre-med. I was intending to become a doctor because, you know, you're a first gen kid, you get the options and doctor, engineer, lawyer. Uh, I said, okay, well, doctor sounds cool because I, I don't like arguing with people. So I don't think I want to be a lawyer and engineering first for me. Like I thought that's a lot of math. I don't know if I'm going to be good at that. So I followed the path to, you know, pre-med eventually figured out I also didn't want to go to med school. So I just graduated with my bachelor's degree and said, okay, I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do with this. 
I grew up in the Northeast, so New Jersey specifically, and there's a big pharmaceutical industry out there. So I was able to take my degree in science and actually start working in corporate in, in pharmaceutical companies, medical device companies. And, you know, from all accounts, especially having graduated during the Great Recession, the fact that I graduated with a job, I was like, oh, okay, I, I think I did something right, right? And so I'm working in corporate, uh, doing the things that we're all told we should be doing, you know, climbing the corporate ladder, um, hopping from job to job, getting a bigger salary, and none of it felt fulfilling. I just honestly felt like I was going through the motions. And I found myself at the age of 27, on a cold January day, walking into work, and I had this really weird meeting with HR scheduled on my calendar. I'm like, well, this is weird because I've been working here for a couple of years, so I can't really imagine what I'd have to talk to HR about. And lo and behold, I was laid off that day and told wow. I had three minutes to pack my stuff. Here's a severance package. There was actually a blizzard that was starting that morning. So I got to drive home. It took me three hours to get home and think about like, what am I going to do with my life? Am I going to end up living in a cardboard box? You know, so that existential crisis happened for me at 27. And it was, I honestly do believe it was the pause that I needed to get out of autopilot and really think about like, what do I want to do now? What is this next version of my life going to be? Am I just going to go right back into corporate, which I didn't even like? Or I'm going to take this opportunity to do some self-discovery and figure out like what I actually want to do. And so I did take a couple months. I took that severance package and I said, I'm not going to rush back to work. I'm going to take these three months that the severance packages bought me. And I'm going to dive into what it looks like to potentially work for myself. And I started diving down the rabbit hole of content creation, blogging, and the rest is they say it's history. And I'm sure we'll dive into that. And so how did you go from that? to deciding, because, you know, I think the problem, as you know, I've been talking to Latinas for a long time about money because I realize like, it's like a dirty conversation in our, in our communities and then talking to women of color. And we all have that issue. What made you go down the rabbit hole of Yo Quiero Dinero, <laughs> which yeah. I'm so glad you did. <laughs> so I started, I've been an entrepreneur now for 10 years and I didn't even realize that's what I was doing when I started a food blog, right? Because that wasn't a career choice that anybody even knew could exist back when I started in 2013. But I always had like this creative bug as a kid. I was always very inventive and just like storytelling and making movies and writing scripts and designing costumes. I was always just doing like random things as a kid. So I knew I always had like a creative streak. But again, we're not told like we can pursue these like creative arts and passions and that's actually going to be the thing that can pay your bills. So it was never something that I considered, but I knew what I like to do in my spare time. I loved cooking. I loved uh, social media. I loved content creation, even though I didn't even understand like what that meant. And so I was doing a lot of research into the food block space, into how people were turning this passion that they had for food into careers. You know, we were hearing stories about people like the pioneer woman who was, you know, sharing recipes on her website. And then eventually, you know, she's got a brand deal with Walmart and she's got a TV show and all these things. And you're watching this stuff and it's like, well, I like to cook. Like, I, I think I have some cool stuff I want to share. And what could happen if I start putting myself out there? And so over the years, you know, doing that and kind of being exposed to this different way of earning money, I had to reframe my entire relationship with like what it means to earn income and how to monetize your skills and what's actually valuable and what people will pay you for. And the more that you dive down the rabbit hole of entrepreneurship, 
it leads you to learning about all things about money, right? You start learning about investing and financial independence. I start listening to podcasts. And eventually by 2019, you know, I'd been doing these side projects, these side hustles for years at this point. And I couldn't find anybody that I could have conversations with about entrepreneurship or investing or not wanting to work till 65, you know, like I didn't even know that was an option for us. And so eventually, you know, after consuming podcasts for so many years, I said, well, there's a gap here. There's conversations that I want to have with women in my community, Latinas, first gen kids who are going to college, who are feeling like, I don't really know if this is the thing I want to do, but what other options do I have? And so I just decided to create a space where we could have these conversations and introduce people to other folks from our communities, right? Not like aspirational people, celebrities, the, the unattainable. I wanted people to hear real life stories that they could relate to that could then make them believe that they could also achieve the things that they want to achieve when it comes to all things money. Well, I'm just so glad you did that. And I have to say, <laughs> you know, I always tell young women, you know, because I, I left my job and I kind of started a business that didn't go well for many, many years. So I tell people, don't do what I did. Start a side hustle first. Make Be, be making money on the side hustle. You may not even want to be an entrepreneur. And then decide. And I love that you have made like a real push on how to start a side hustle. And I love that on your website, you have a test that's yes. like, how do you figure out what's the right side hustle side hustle for you? I thought that was a genius move. So <laughs> can you talk about that and how you figured that out? Yeah. So that's the thing, you know, when you talk about uh, entrepreneurship to people, they immediately get freaked out because they're thinking, you know, like I got to go launch the next Amazon or Tesla or something. It's like, no, girl, relax. Like anything that you have somebody paying you money for is a business, right? And it can be super small and something that you do super part-time, or it can be something that you scale to full-time. And I saw so many examples of this, like growing up as a kid, I'm Puerto Rican and every Puerto Rican has a side hustle, especially like the ones on the island because the jobs just don't pay. You know, you have the lady on the corner that's selling ice cream. You got the abuela who's selling empanadillas. You have my grandmother who was like doing seamstress work on top of, you know, her full-time job. My grandmother on the other side of the family has a little bodega on the first floor of her house. So I was just always used to this idea of like, you just find different ways to make money. It was very normal for me. I even saw my parents, you know, they would do like yard sales or go to the flea market and sell right. stuff. So right. It was never weird to me. But, um, you know, as but I we said, never declare that we're entrepreneurs, like, <laughs> yeah. like if you're a clean, I tell, I tell cleaning ladies that, that have worked for me or worked in my, in my offices. And I go, you have a janitorial service. Yeah. You're not a cleaning lady. Yeah. You can write off all this stuff that you use. You know, it, it is a mindset problem that we have because you're right. Like nobody's more entrepreneurial than Latinos. Yeah, no, absolutely. We make it happen by any means necessary. And we tend to make things happen with nothing. You know, right. we're so resourceful as a community. And th I think that's one of our biggest strengths. So I think the first thing that overwhelms people is like, what am I going to sell? You know, I'm not good at anything. Uh, nobody's <laughs> going to pay me for anything. And it always cracks me up when people say that, because I'm always just like, do you have a job? Like is somebody paying you to do something? then you know how to do something, right? It's not like you have no skills. You've gotten to a place where like you're a functional adult, you know how to do some things. Now it's just a matter of like writing those things down and figuring out what are those high value skills that you have that then you can turn into some sort of service or product. Right. So for me, it's important, you know, looking not only at your professional skill set that you've acquired throughout your career, but also looking at the personal skill sets that you have, right? Like for me, I've monetized things that I did not go to school for. I'm not a professional chef, but I have a food blog. 
right? I'm not a, you know, I didn't go to school for broadcast journalism, but I have a podcast, you know? And so even the things that you're curious about, if you're passionate enough about them to like really put in the work to gain those skills, you can turn those things into a business. But the first thing is to like actually give yourself permission to maybe shift that identity that you thought you were going to have and say, oh, I'm going to allow myself to evolve into a new version of myself. And, you know, great for all the things that I accomplished as that version of me, but I'm ready to move on to something else. And, and, you know, I think it's hard because, you know, society tells us by 18 years old, we need to figure out what we want to study. We need to figure out what we want to do with the rest of our lives. And God forbid you change your mind or you learn about something that you didn't know before. There's so much angst into like letting go that identity. And we even see that when people retire, right? They're just like, well, what's my purpose? And we have to realize like we are allowed to evolve as humans. Well, and it's also silly because, you know, like my parents are now 90, right? And they're saying that people are going to live in this next generation to 100 or 120. There's no okay. way you're going to have one career for 100 years. I mean, There's like, no way. I've already had like five. So I don't know what to tell you. I think, I think it's like we have to get comfortable with the fact como que esa cosa that you're going to go work in a company for 30 years or four and retire. It's over. Like those things don't happen anymore. So you have to really like learn to think this way. Yeah. But I just love what you, I mean, I'm telling you, I've never seen like what you did on your website. Everybody has to go see it on yoquero.com, yoquerodinero.com, that you really break it down, how you can figure out like what's the right thing for you. And I think it's important too, because, you know, I think a lot of times when you try side hustles, people don't realize it's also a process of elimination. Like mm -hmm. you might try something and go, eso no para mí, right? <laughs> right. But you gotta try. that I've tried, okay, that uh, did not turn into businesses, y'all. And it really is a process of elimination. I thought before the food blog, I thought I was gonna be a personal chef. You know, I was gonna go and cook for rich people and blah, blah. I did a couple of gigs and I was like, oh my God, I'm exhausted. This was like a 12 hour day. I don't wanna do this. This is not the vibe. I want a financially independent way to make money with food and a way that I can do it from my house. So this is not going to work. Uh, I thought it was going to be a travel blogger because I love to travel, but I also realized, wait, I don't even have money to be traveling like that. So that's not going to work, right? So there's a time and place for the things that you want to do. And you're going to have to try some things and not all of them are going to work out. And that's honestly the best part, I think, of entrepreneurship is the self-discovery process that happens along the way. You really get to know yourself and like what you're capable of and what you are passionate about. And it's only going to happen through taking those actions. That's right. Hold on. Moneymaker will be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
let's get back to the show. You have now like coached and mentored a lot of women and you ha- like you have a great new event that you just did. So what do you what do you recommend to women that are trying to go into this entrepreneurship space in terms of starting a side hustle first and then figuring out where they fit in and yeah. like what they should do next? Yeah, I think well First off, uh, going back to what I was talking about, like identifying those skill sets that you have, whether that's personal and professionally, I think it's really important to like write those down. So you can actually see like, what are all those different options that I do have to monetize, right? Because that's that's the big thing that stops everybody. It's like, oh, I don't know what I'm good at. Okay, well, when you have that list of things that you know how to do, then you can start the process of elimination. How excited would I be to get paid for this? Or there's no amount of money that somebody could pay me to do this, right? <laughs> like I'm an engineer by training. I would never want to be a consultant. Like I saw my father have that career as an engineer, right? He was traveling everywhere months on end. I'm like, no, that's not the career for me. Yeah, I could do it, but there's no amount of money that would make me excited to do that. So just knowing that is important. The next thing is making sure that you are not over investing in the beginning. I think there's so much pressure for people to feel like I got to buy all the things. I got to sign up for all the programs. I got to go spend $20,000 to launch this business or I'm not legit. And I'm a firm believer of using all the free and low cost tools that you can possibly find before you start making some heavy investments. Now, I'm not going to say that I recommend doing this, but I did start my food blog using my work computer because I didn't even have a laptop. Okay, y'all, I was broke. I'm like, I got a computer. It's not necessarily mine, but I'm not going to use it during office hours. I'm going to use it after hours and I'm going to start my food blog on my work computer. If you can find a personal computer you can use at somebody else's, maybe start there. But what I'm saying is like, you have to get really crafty with, you know, how much money you're investing initially because you don't really know what that return on investment is going to be. When I started my podcast, I started with my iPhone and my little Apple earbuds and a free app called Anchor.fm on, you know, the app store that is now Spotify for podcasters. I I said, I don't know anything about starting podcasts. I did not buy a mic until many months later. And it's just been a process of evolution as I've seen the return on investment, then I'll invest. If I get paid a little money for something, then I'll invest. But it's not like you need to go and spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to start a side hustle, especially because the internet has made so many uh, tools and resources available online for free. Well, and it changes all the time. All the time. So like you you can't get crazy, right? Yeah. Also, you... Let's talk about like choosing what to do. Like you started food blogging when food blogging was cool and now it's kind of saturated. So let's talk about emerging um, side hustles and like also paying attention to timing. What's like the new hot thing or like, is there a new platform that you can come in early in the game? Like when people got into TikTok, yeah. I don't know if I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg's new, uh, you know, new venture is going to work out. But I'm just saying, how about that? The timing of when you get into something and being an early adapter to that as a side you know, hustle. I think it's cool if you can kind of time things in that way. But I also do feel like that can be a limiting belief because there is this idea of like, oh, well, it's too late for me. So there's no point in showing up. Right. And I could have had that perspective when I started a podcast because, you know, 2019 podcasts were already really popular. There's a ton of money podcasts. So it's like that idea of like, oh, well, it's too late can definitely stop people from starting something. And what I like to say is there's no 
competition when you realize that you're the only one in your lane. Like you are the expert of you. You are the only person that has your lived experience, your story, your expertise that you can share. And so regardless of how many people are doing the thing that you want to do, nobody's going to do it like you. You know, and when you come into it with that energy, people are naturally going to be attracted to you because they align with who you are. Your people are going to find you and the people who are not meant to be with you are not going to be with you. And I really have found that like the less I pay attention to what the hell everybody else is doing and the more that I just live into what feels good for me and what I enjoy doing and what feels authentic to what I want to create. It, it has led to success because I'm not always measuring myself and beating myself up against some arbitrary competition that's not even competition because we all have our own expertise that nobody else can compete with. You know what? I so agree with you on that. And, you know, my my dear friend Sandra Cisneros, who's one of our great writers, oh, always talks about to write from that place. She calls it your 10 times 10, the 10 things that make you unique from any other woman, even if she's Latina, even if she her, she looks like you, whatever, that you have a unique story. And I think to myself too, what that brings up for me is I remember when um, Lean In came out and I was like, you know, and then, and then I got a call from Cheryl Sandberg because I knew her and she asked me to do an event with her. And I'm like, Cheryl, I'll do the event, but like your book is unrelatable to Latinas. <laughs> and, and I do the event and I remember thinking as she's speaking, like, Who's going to tell our story? And and I thought to myself, you go do it. And then I, I, you know, our limiting belief in our head. And I said to myself, who the hell do you think you are to do that? You're not Sheryl Sandberg. You're not a billionaire. And I just thought the one thing I'm good at is completion. And I did it. So I wrote it. And who would have thought that the, that I would have done a New York Times bestseller? You know, so I do think you're right. And thank you for saying that, that we have to like, understand that it doesn't matter if other people are doing it. Your version of it is different. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to just put those blinders on sometimes because the comparison trap and, you know, trying to compare yourself to somebody who's been doing this for 10 years when it's your day one, like that's not going to do anything but defeat you. Mm -hmm. There's no point. So now that you're seeing you're again, you're meeting so many women and, and you're, you're really empapada in this whole entrepreneur thing. What are the areas that you're seeing are really jiving for women today? Like mm. what, you know, is it, is it, is it, is it a, is it an area or is it a technology? Is it the social media thing? Is it, what are you, what are you getting the vibe is really working for like young Latinas right now? Yeah, I think we're still coming off of the pandemic where people are really embracing the idea of working remotely and just having that freedom, you know, and as more and more employers are asking their employees to come back into the office for God knows whatever reason, because I always thought to myself, I'm like, y'all, I'm sitting here on a computer that is a laptop that I could absolutely have at home. And there's really no reason for me to be sitting in this office other than y'all want some eyeballs on me. Right. And so I think people really got a taste of what that freedom looks like. And more and more people are just not willing to give that up. And if they are not finding employers that are willing to allow them that flexibility, they're like, I'm going to go and create my own company that I can work from home. I can take care of my kids. I have time to pick them up from school, take them to school and just have that flexibility that we were given a taste of. Right. Uh, so for me, it's definitely been uh, I've seen a lot of, of discussions and people asking me questions about how can I start something from home? How can I do something that gives me that time and location freedom? And so for me, I think 
you know, I always recommend starting with a service-based business of some kind, right? Because you're not tied to inventory. You're not selling a physical product. You don't need a warehouse. You don't need shipping. You can literally sell what's up here. Your skill set, figuring out how to package that into some sort of offer, whether that is as a consultant, whether that is as a creator, um, that is for me the lowest hanging fruit that most of us could start off with because it really is a low cost business, right? You need three things to start a service-based business. You need the offer, you need a way to market, and you need a way to get paid for it. That offer is up to you to figure out how you want to package your skills, right? Whether that's by the hour, whether that's by a sort of time frame where you're like, you know, selling your services on a recurring basis, whatever. The marketing is free, y'all. Social media, we've got 17,000 different platforms we can decide to show up on, depending on who you think your ideal audience is. Whether that's LinkedIn, if you're trying to sell like B2B or to corporate, or maybe you're selling to millennials, so you're going to hang out on Instagram. Maybe you're going to sell to, uh, you know, Gen Z, so you're going to hang out on TikTok. Figuring out where your audience is is number two. And then how to get paid. There's all types of digital platforms that we can use to get paid, whether that's Stripe or PayPal or Venmo or whatever. Uh, when you can figure out those three things, you can start a service-based business for almost nothing. So how do you, you know, one of the things I hear a lot is how do I know, how do I know what to charge? Yeah. And like you on your site, you're, you're doing, you know, you're doing classes and you're doing, you, you've figured out how to monetize what you're doing. So Talk a little bit about that, because I know it's really daunting. Yeah, I think that's the thing that freaks people out the most is this idea like, oh, you know, it's either one of two things. <clears throat> it's either nobody's ever going to pay me what I actually want to make. Right. There's this idea that there's no way. And then there's also like, I don't want to price myself out of my community. Right. OK, so. But, the you, but you know, but you know, it's interesting because I think. That's true. Like, I remember my mother many years ago who made wedding dresses and she always charged so little. And I would say to her mom, it took you 120 hours and you're charging like, it's like 20 cents an hour what you're getting paid. Cause yeah. she thought so that it's as old as time that yeah. we undervalue our work. Yeah. And especially if our ideal clients are people of color, there's this inherent idea that we don't have money. So we can't charge too much because then nobody's going to be able to afford us. First of all, I think that's very insulting because I know plenty of Latinas that are balling out of control. Okay. Uh, all you got to do is see like the cars they're driving, the Louis Vuitton bags, they got the lashes where we look fabulous. So wow. If there's one thing that we know how to do is spend money on ourselves. Okay. So don't be out here thinking that we don't have money to invest in ourselves because we always will find it when we need to. Okay. That's number one. And I think uh, the latest statistic I saw was like Latinos as a community have almost $3 trillion in spending power. So, I mean, that's not small peanuts. OK, um, but I think what's really important to think about when you're pricing yourself is you can't just price yourself by the hour, which we're programmed to do because that's usually how we get paid. Right. It's either you're a salaried worker or you get paid a certain amount of time for your hours. You have to charge people based on the time that you're saving them the work that you're saving them from having to do for themselves, the amount of effort, education, experience that you have had to endure to get to a place where you are now qualified to sell these things, right? And also the amount of transformation that you're providing for that service. So let's just say you are a service provider that helps business owners optimize their backend operations, right? And the work that you're going to do is going to help that business owner save a million dollars in overhead costs, in hiring costs, 
in software, whatever. You charge a decent amount of money for the fact that you're saving that business owner a million dollars, right? So I'm thinking that's maybe like $100,000 worth of work for that one project. That to me seems very reasonable. If I'm paying you $100,000 and you're saving me a million, that's a great deal. But you're also making enough money to like justify the amount of work that's going to take to get to that place, right? So it's just, there is no formula. But I think what happens is as you get more and more experience and you get more and more confidence as an entrepreneur, you get more and more uh, brazen, I guess, to like raise your prices because you know your worth. And the more testimonials you get from your clients and the more transformations that you get to witness because of the work that you do, I think that makes it easier and easier to then like ask for what you're worth. But those initial few clients that you're going to have to start off with, you might have to do some work for free in the beginning or very low cost, not only to just prove out that you have something valuable, but also to just give you that experience of what it is to pitch yourself and to get, you know, client work and to just put yourself out there. Cause that's scary tech. So there's, there's also another way to make money, especially in the content creator space, which is having advertisers pay you. Right. And that's a very different model. So how do people learn to get into that? Yeah. So uh, when I first started food blogging, one of the ways that I saw people monetizing was through what you're talking about, like brand deals or sponsorships or influencer marketing as a whole. So I actually started off because, again, I didn't have any idea how this world worked, but I took like a seminar about food blogging and just like the business behind it. And I learned about these things called influencer marketing networks. So I joined a couple of them. They're all typically free. So it's almost like a job board that you join and uh, different companies can come in there and pitch projects. And then you can decide, hey, I want to apply to this. This is my proposal of what I would offer as far as content. And you come to an agreed upon price. Yeah, I started, I think I got my first gig for like $125. And I was like, what? This is amazing. Somebody's going to pay me $125 to like make a recipe and do a social media post. Amazing. Once you start realizing like how much work actually goes into content creation, you quickly realize, oh, I actually need to start charging a lot more for this because you are literally like a media company at this point. You are a production house, right? So you are a script writer. You are a film editor. You are, uh, you know, a content creator. You are the personality. You are social media manager. So you're like having to do 15 different jobs uh, to create this one piece of content quickly, you you know, you got to start charging more than what you think. I like to tell people, if the number doesn't make you uncomfortable, it's not high enough. And I love that that. philosophy for anything, whether it comes to speaking engagements, brand deals, even my book deal. I was like, if this doesn't make me feel like who the hell does she think she is? I'm not asking for enough money. So that's the energy that I recommend. Everybody goes. I love that. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) <laughs> so tell tell all of our ladies and men that are listening, how can they find you? How can they get on your site? Like, how do they reach you? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me all over the internet uh, at Yo Quiero Dinero podcast. You can listen to this podcast on the same place that you find Yo Quiero Dinero. Um, and yeah, I'm all over social media. My favorite platform is definitely Instagram. I'm super, you know, typical millennial. But uh, you can find me everywhere from TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and all the things. So. And I just love everything you're doing. I am so proud of you. And I can't wait to, I I can't wait to do your event. (laughs) How was your event this year? It was incredible. So we hosted our very first in-person event called Our Money, Our Power in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Ah, so beautiful. 
the whole vision for me was to, again, create a space where we could see real life examples of people who are building wealth, pursuing financial independence, who are all people of color, right? Because I think especially when it comes to conversations around money, they're still very white. They're still very male. And it's it can feel very like, oh, that's for them, but that's not for us. And so we were able to create a space where everybody on stage was a person of color. Everybody who was in the audience was a person of color. And we were just able to see like real life examples and talk to real life examples of people who are not following the status quo and who are just changing narratives, not just for themselves, but their family. It was really incredible. Well, Janice Torres, I am proud of you. I'm proud of Yo Quiero Dinero. And you you. are a true money maker. Estás viviendo una vida de un mundo rico. Muchas gracias. Un placer para estar aquí. Moneymaker is a production of Money News Network. Moneymaker is written and hosted by me, Nelly Galan. Our executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Thanks for listening. See you next time.